Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, Open World Planet. My name is Danny Flood, and prepare to be inspired on this interview. I am really excited today to have Mark Messick on the show. He's a 16-year-old self-published author who has published nine books, many of them Amazon bestsellers. He just received a check from Amazon for $4,000. I think it's a really inspiring example that you can succeed if you follow your passions, no matter your age, background, or education level. And I'm really looking forward to picking Mark's brain and hearing about his journey and what he's learned. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, awesome. Glad to be here. So, Mark, maybe you could tell me and the listener a little bit more about uh, your background and uh, how did you get started doing what you're doing? So, you, you know, when, when I was 11 years old, we had to move halfway across the country for my dad's job. And it, I think it was like in the middle of the school year or something. And it was going to be an extended move. Like we were going to have to move to a rental house and then another rental house and then finally to our our final house. So, so we, we'd have to change like three school districts or something. So we decided it would just be easier to do homeschooling. And I didn't really want to do homeschooling. You know, I, I was I, – I kind of liked public school. I liked socializing and having friends there. But – my parents convinced me to to start doing homeschooling at age eleven for this move, and so so we did. And at first, we just kind of uh, I, I guess tried to recreate the public school environment at home, and it, it was really kind of boring. But then over time, we started to to develop our our I guess our own family philosophy about education. And that is that everybody learns differently, and so you need to realize how each each individual learns best and kind of um, help them learn it, learn that way. And so when we started doing that, um, I, I discovered that I actually really loved to write. And that this was never something that I'd really, you know, even thought of before. But I, I discovered that I, I just like, like writing. And so I started doing it just for fun, and then it became a little bit more serious. And I would actually... My parents helped me arrange my schedule so that I could get all of my schooling done by noon and then have the rest of the day to write. And sometimes I, I would write, you know, for six hours straight. And, and it was pretty ridiculous. I, I think I wrote like 70,000 words in, in just a couple of months as, as an 11-year-old, you know. And so I, I just continued to write until I was 13. I discovered you could self-publish on Amazon for free. And so I, I figured, you know, what, what the heck, I'll try it. And so I, I uploaded a book that I had published, or not that I had published, or that I had written a couple of months before. And I, I was really excited. You know, I was finally going to be like a, a best-selling author, and it's going to be awesome. And then uh, the first month I sold six copies, and I think I knew five of the six people that bought it. So it was just really pitiful, and I was kind of discouraged but I was finally, you know, an author. I could go to Amazon and search for my name and, you know, there would be my book. And it was really cool. And I, I realized that, that it was kind of always, um, ever since I discovered I love to write, it had been my dream to be an author. And now I was an author. 
but I, I wanted to kind of figure out how, how to make it work. It, you know, that this was, this was my dream and, and I wanted to, to turn it into a full, full time, um, income, I guess. So I, I continued to, to struggle, uh, on learning how to, how to market a book. And I spent two years doing that. And then I finally, I guess, caught my big break. And now, um, you, you know, like you said, last month, I got a $4,000 check for, for my royalties. <laughs> so I, I guess I what finally figured something out about my first book. It was like a really cheesy short story about like some, I, I don't even remember. It's like a post-apocalyptic something or rather nuclear war. I, I don't even remember a whole lot about it. I, I should go back and read it sometime. That would probably be pretty fun. But I, I unpublished it quite a while ago just because it, it was so horrible. So I remember, um, you know, back when I was in high school and they, in Honors English, they had us reading like Crime and Punishment and stuff like that. And, oh, God, it was Punishment just reading books like that. But, you know, I was playing so many video games and I just had this crazy imagination and I could write all this fiction and stuff. And I wrote all these essays and I, I wish I could have uploaded them on Amazon back then. You know, I'm 29 years old now. Um, but what I really like about what, you know, where I see you're going with this is, you know, school spends so much time kind of preparing you for life. You know, like we, we, we write essays and, um, you know, even master's degree students, you know, they write their thesis or a dissertation. But you're just actually going out into the marketplace and, and giving the market what it wants, would you say? You're just living it, yeah. basically. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think I think school kind of sets us up for failure in that way because um, it's it, we take you know twenty one years of our life, you know until we're twenty one, twenty two, just kind of preparing for life. And by by that point, by that point, we're almost like you know like a deer in the headlights. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think lots of times people that they, they see how much time I'm spending on my books and stuff, and they're like, no, no, you, you need to be spending more time on school. You're ruining your life. And I'm like, well, what's the reason to go to school? And they're like, um, I, I guess so that you can get a job. And I'm like, I, I'm already making as much as the average American does. So, yeah, you, you know, that, that shuts most people up. I love that. Nobody has any good answers, really, you know. Um, if, they, if they tell you, if you ask them, you know, why should I do this? Why should I stay in school and follow the traditional path? And nobody really has a good answer, it seems like. Um, but you, you've kind of discovered some things on this path, uh, your own path of self-discovery. And, and I think it's amazing that you didn't give up after writing that first book when you only sold six copies. Was it just because you, you loved it so much that you, you spent two more years just trying to figure it all out? Is that what pushed you through? Yeah, I, I think it was just because, you, you know, it, it was my dream to, to be an author. And I really, really wanted to make it work. I, I was willing to really do anything. And I think one thing that really helped me is that I never, ever doubted, even for a second, that I could fail. And, and see, I, maybe that was just because I, I was, I, I don't know, naive or inexperienced. But I, I always believed in myself and I believed that I could make this succeed and if I ever started to get a little bit of doubt in the back of my mind, you know, a little voice saying, hey, maybe this won't work out, I would immediately just extinguish that. And I think that's one of the big things that pushed me through is that I always believed in myself and my ability to, to make this work, even though, you know, as a 13-year-old kid, 
I always believed that I could make it work. Where does this confidence come from? I have no idea. <laughs> um, do, you, do you just have a high self-esteem? Uh, do you, um, is, is it part of your conditioning? Do, do your parents uh, bring you up to believe that you could do anything that you wanted? You know, I, I think that that might be part of it. Also, I, I just saw, you know, some of these other guys, um, I, I guess I kind of had a couple of role models on Kindle. And I saw them succeeding, and what they were doing didn't really look too hard. And I'm like, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. So I, I don't know. I, I just always kind of I, – I never had any doubt that I would one day be able to succeed. That's great. So role models were uh, a big part of it. Um, oh, yeah, for, for fair, sure. I think these role models you were looking up to, they're probably uh, three times your age, though, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I mean, yeah. did you ever feel like, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't be doing this? Like, this is the realm of, uh, you know, grown-ups, and here I am, 13, just starting out. I, I just, I find well, that amazing. Well, the, you know, when I first started out, actually for about the first two years until just recently, I never really revealed my age. Like, I, I just always kept it quiet, and I, I actually never would. I, I was really careful because I, I thought that people wouldn't take me as seriously, and that they would kind of be like, if people did read my books, they'd be reading it for the wrong reasons. They wouldn't be reading it because they wanted to. They'd just be reading it because, you, you know, a kid wrote them and they wanted to see how, how it turned out. You, you know, so I, I always tried to, to keep it as quiet as possible. And so for, for the first two years, actually, nobody that was reading my books knew knew about my age. And some days when I'd go in and do my marketing and my social media and my email or, or whatever – I, I would almost forget that that I was, you know, a thirteen year old kid. I I just kind of viewed myself as as the same as some of these, you know, other authors that were making it. I, it's kind of weird, but that, that's just just how it was. Yeah, well, you know, because I can remember, um, you know, when I first entered the workforce, I was a bit older than you, uh, maybe twenty two, twenty three. I'm twenty nine now, um, and just just feeling like I had to start at the bottom. You know, and, and uh, all the older people, you know, had to put me in my place and have to start out with an internship and just, you know, like like this whole idea of putting in your time first, you know, that you can't be successful until you've, uh, you know, had like 15 or 20 years of experience. What would you say to that? I, I think that, you know, that, that whole system is kind of really silly. I, I think that people should should not be evaluated based on the, the time they spend doing something, but their their expertise. That's interesting. <laughs> so did you find that you could um, write on the same level as, as other authors, even though you were much younger? You, you know, at first, I definitely think that, that I had a really horrible writing style. And I actually went back maybe a year ago and unpublished like seven of my books. I, I Honestly, I, I had something like 20 books that I've written. But only nine of them are published. Um, so I, I unpublished. I, I took them down off of Amazon just because I, I really do think they, they are so horrible. But over time, I think I continued to, to kind of develop my, my unique writing voice. And it's not the same as you, you, some, some authors. You know, I, I wasn't trying to mimic, mimic them. I was trying to kind of do my own thing. 
And again, I never revealed my age, but I was still getting very positive feedback on Amazon. You know, if you go to my Amazon author page right now, you'll see that almost every single one of my books has an almost perfect five-star rating out of, you know, 50 reviews or something, which is something that even a lot of, you know, I guess grown-up authors can't really manage on Amazon. And I really was trying to, I guess, kind of level the playing field and not reveal my age so that people would treat me the same as everybody else, if that kind of makes sense. And they, they did. They never, nobody ever guessed that, that, that I was a teenager. So I, I think that's pretty cool. So you just kept practicing, 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 and just you know, writing, writing, writing. Um, you mentioned that you spent six hours straight just writing, and eventually you just got better and better and better. That was, that was the key? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so take me back. Tell me about the kind of early win. When was the moment that uh, you knew that this could work, that uh, you could make money on Amazon? Was there like a specific moment when you like saw a, a check come in? or? You know, um, it would probably be a, a little bit over a year ago. I think it was like May of 2014. I, I published a new book, and it, it did – all right. Like, I think I made $200 in the first month. And to me, that was amazing. You, you know, um, I came from a, a kind of, I guess you could say poor family and I could n- never imagine making $200 on my own. And it was just, it was so cool to see that. And now, you know, if I made $200 in a month, I'd freak out cause I can't pay all my, all my bills. Um, <laughs> But, but back then, that, that was really awesome. And like, hey, I, I did this, and I did it all by myself. You, you know, I, I didn't have any any help from anybody that as for like a I, I don't know like a marketing push. I, I did all the marketing myself, and I, I made something of it. And then um, from there, I guess it kind of just snowballed. You, you know, a couple of months later, I was making eight hundred dollars a month, and then after that, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred, and. It worked up until you know last month I made four thousand. So it kind of just snowballed from that point. So walk me through that. Um, when you got that first check for two hundred dollars, and then you got to eight hundred dollars, and then a thousand, it kept growing. Um, what did you do to make that happen? What were the um, the key factors in that success? Can you break it down? Yeah. So. Um, what I learned, I, I guess, um, after after I made that initial two hundred dollars, what I learned from that is that there's five things that are really important when you're selling a book on Amazon, and these might seem kind of cliche, except for the last one. But the first four, everybody's like, "Oh, I've heard that before," but the, the thing is, they've heard it so often that they don't really pay attention to it, and it is so incredibly important. I can't stress it enough, but. The first is to have an absolutely amazing cover. Like it has to be gorgeous. It has to really stand out from the crowd and people have to look at it and say, wow, I want that book. You know, it just has to be a really amazing cover. And this isn't like a cover that you can get off of Fiverr or, you know, something like that. You have to actually invest money in your cover. And this was hard for me. But when I finally did fork over the cash, you know, it, it made a huge difference. Um, so definitely um, hire a professional designer. And I'm not saying that you have to invest like $1,000 in your book cover or anything like that. You just have to um, 
maybe like a hundred dollars. That's kind of my price point. A hundred dollars somewhere in there. I think you can get a good cover. And so that's really important is that you get a really good cover. And so, Do you want so, to so that's the Mark? first one. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> that's so, sorry about the background noise. Okay. No. So um, first one, an absolutely amazing cover. Um, huge, huge key factor. I published one book um, a couple of months ago with a great cover. It went on to make like $3,000 all by itself in, in one month. And then the next month I published a new book that just had a kind of so-so cover. And it did like, you know, really horrible. It barely made any. And the only difference, like I had the same number of reviews. It still had, um, it had a similar writing style, similar subject matter. Everything was the same pretty much except for the cover. And it made a huge difference, like a $2,000 difference, just, just having a great cover. And then, okay, so what are some so of, uh, what are some of the factors of a great cover? Because I know that uh, I'm looking at your your covers, and um, all of your books are pretty consistent. You have the seven minute change series, and uh, I noticed that you're really big on uh, typography, and typography is like the uh, the words that you use. And, and besides that, it's just kind of like a stock image. Is that right? Yeah. So um, I, I think you have to make really... a big difference in design. You have to know your market. That's the most important thing. You have to know what they what they look for in a cover. Okay. Um, if you had like a say a I, I don't know like a science fiction or a fantasy book, you definitely would not want to focus mostly on on the text, kind of like I do with my covers. You would want to have a a really fantastic cover cover image that really kind of um, that define defines your book, and that's hard. Um, it, it's really hard as a, if you can't afford to hire like a, you know, an illustrator to drop your own cover image, it, it can be really hard as a fiction author. And I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to give, give advice on, you know, every single niche on, on what makes a good cover. But I know that, that in my particular niche, you know, kind of self-help goals, that, that, that kind of thing, um, uh, a so great cover is made titles, up of, um, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but. All no, no, good. Go kind ahead. Of promote, they all kind of promote a benefit. So you're putting the benefit kind of front and center, would you say? Yeah, yeah, that, no, that, that's really important, and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, <laughs> so really know your niche. You know, look around at the other bestsellers in your niche. See kind of what they do and what works for them. And then you know, write down a bunch of ideas uh, on what works for the other bestsellers in your niche and then see what you can do to make it even better, you know. Um, so, so that's the first point is to have an absolutely amazing cover and that makes so much of a difference. Most, most people won't realize it, um, or they, they don't think it would make a big difference, but it really does. And then second one is to have an absolutely amazing title. Uh, now this is the title that it, in my niche, um, I, I don't know if it's, it's the same for every niche, but in my niche, I, I try to keep it kind of short and snappy and, and I didn't do that for all of my books. But for the ones that I did, they sold a lot better. So, so I try to keep it short and snappy and something that when people read that, if they're in my target market, they go, wow, I, I need to read that book, you know? So the, that's, that's a really, really important part. And I think you've done a pretty good job with, with that in, in, on your books. Like, like I love the title, By Your Own Island. That's just so cool. It's a title that really jumps out at you. 
and it, you're like, Hey, I have to read this book. It, it, it kind of, um, it, there's a sense of curiosity and mystery about that. It's like, can you really buy your own Island? He, you know, I, I need to check out this book. So I, I definitely think, um, that, that it's important that you kind of have, have some sort of mystery associated with your title and people go, Hey, I need to read this book, you, you know, to, to find it, find out this or this. And uh, again, the, this will be different for, for every niche, but having a great title that make people just, you know, stop what they're doing and go, Hey, I have to check out this book. It is really, really important. And then, um, and, and again, what, what you can do is look, look at other bestsellers in your niche. See, so kind of look for the style, you know, do they try to keep it short? Is it kind of, kind of longer and more poetic? What, what do they, what, what do the other bestsellers do? And again, take that and try to make it better. And then the third point is to have a, a really great sales copy. And, uh, th- this is what should really kind of seal the deal. It, it needs to, you know, the, the cover and the title catch someone's attention. That's their main, their main point is, is to catch, catch readers attention. But then the, the, the book description needs to convince them that this book is worth their time and their money. And, um, okay. you, you know, the, this is kind of hard to do. I'm writing a really good sales copy. So, um, well, what I'm actually planning on doing for, for my newer books, just because I don't think I'm very good at it, um, at, at writing a condensing sales copy is I'm actually going to hire a copywriter, but not everyone can do that. If you want, you can go and read a couple of copywriting books and, and look for different hacks and things like that. But it's really important that, that you have a description that convinces people, you know, to, to invest time and money in, into your book. And again, these are three kind of basic things that everybody has heard a hundred times if you're in, into Kindle marketing, but be, because they've heard it so many times, they don't really give it very much attention, but these things are absolutely huge. Once I start, once I realized this, it really, really, um, you, you know, increased my monthly income. Mark, is it, so, is it also important to, uh, optimize, uh, with the, optimize the description and, uh, include certain keywords in there? And, and also optimize the right categories. You know, I did that a bunch when I was first starting out, but I, I discovered that it's it's just not really worth it. Um, you, you know, it takes it can take some time to find the right keywords and everything, and then you have to plant them in your descriptions, and it, it just it didn't have a have a high return on investment. I guess it wasn't worth my time, and maybe someday that that will change. But I think it's just um, there's so many people trying to game the Amazon algorithm with keywords that Amazon has stopped paying attention to keywords as much, and so it, it just really doesn't have the same same effect that it used to. Okay, so what's well? I don't want to. I guess we can jump into this after you're done. But um, uh, I guess there's a, probably a better way to get your books found than um, besides optimization. Yep. Then? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, let's, and let's, we'll get into that. that. That's the fifth year. point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, before before fourth, we get into that, though, oh, go ahead. Uh, I want to I want to ask you about the sales copy again. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at your your sales copy for uh, seven minutes superhuman. Yeah. And this description is really long. Like it it reads like a sales letter, and I find that really fascinating because, you know, speaking from experience, and I'm sure a lot of authors deal with this too, is um, when they're filling in their, you know, fields to publish the book, 
Um, they kind of like haven't planned the description already, and they're kind of just like filling it out because it's one of the required fields, I think, and, it's, and that's probably why it's so substandard. But the way you've written yours is like you start out with um, kind of like a big problem that your prospect has or that your, your target audience has, like warning, your life needs to change. Uh, you know, your life is subpar. And then it kind of just re reads like a, a sales copy letter. Do you, um, are you influenced by uh, copywriters online? Do you have like uh, copywriters that you like to study and, and I guess swipe certain things? You know, I, I wish I could say that I studied sales copies and did, did it really professional, but I, I really do not. I just kind of, I, I've heard from, um, from successful authors like, like Steve Scott that it's really important to have a, a lengthy sales copy and, and to kind of plan it out. So that, that's something that I always do is before I even publish my book, um, you, you know, cause like you say, I, I think a lot of authors, it's just kind of like a last minute thing. They're like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I have to do this too. But it really, it's really important. You, you know, um, it, even if you have a great title and a, a great cover, it's not to, it's not going to convince someone to buy the, the point of the title and cover is just to convince them to click on your book page. Once they're there, the cover, or sorry, the, the description has to do all the, all the work. So, okay. Um, I, I would always write it beforehand in, in like a text document and get everything planned out and edited it a couple of times. And, and like I said, I'm not a really great copywriter, but taking you know half an hour um, to, to an hour to, to actually sit down and write a, a long longer um, sales copy that, than most people do, I think it has a has a good um, it, it can make a, a huge impact. And I don't know if length plays a big key. It probably really depends on your your uh, your uh, niche. I, I think for fiction authors, I think a shorter, snappier um, book description would, would work a lot better. For my particular niche, I think um, people want to know exactly what they're getting and how how they're getting it and why my book is different. And so it takes some time to to you know lay all that out for them. And I'm, I'm looking at your letter right now, and I'm, I'm kind of seeing a formula here. Um, you're starting out with a problem that the target market has, and then you're here to introduce the solution. And, and that's part of your, your seven-minute superhuman method, so you've kind of packaged it together as, as a method. Um, another thing I've noticed is that you also, like your, your paragraphs are very short. Um, you know, and some of these... It seems like you only do like one line or one sentence per paragraph. Is that right? You know, none of that is on purpose. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it, it was just kind of kind of what happened. Well, you know, that's that's some of the elements of uh, really effective copywriting. You know, uh, a lot of copywriters like Gary Halbert, um, you know, the way they write is just uh, really, really short uh, paragraphs because if it's too blocky, it's too big, people aren't going to read it. Um, yeah, no, that, well, that makes so, sense. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the fourth the fourth point the the three the first three um, were you know cover title and description. The fourth one that's really important is reviews. Getting good reviews can make a huge difference. And when you're first starting out, this can be kind of hard because I I highly um, discourage getting reviews from friends and family members and things like that. Um, so it, it's important that you kind of build a following, whether it's on, you know, just getting um, a social media following or, or a small number of blog followers or people that 
um, that he would be willing to, you know, take uh, five minutes to try to review. Um, it's really important that, that you kind of start building up um, connections and, and networking so that later on down the road, um, you, you know, you'll have a, have a group of people that like your stuff and are willing to leave a review. And um, it's easier once you've got two or three books out there um, because then you'll have people that are like signing up for your email list or, um, you, you know, following you on Twitter or things like that. And then you can just, uh, just ask those people. And most of the time, if they took, if they took the time to go and sign up for your email list or follow you on Twitter, chances are that they like, like your writing style. They like your books and would be willing to, to leave a review on your next one. Um, incentivize those reviews or anything like that? Cause, um, I often give out, you know, advanced copies of my new books, uh, to my mailing list. And then a lot of people will ask for them, but then maybe one person or two people will write, actually write a review. <laughs> yeah, I, I've worked with um, with trying to, to kind of incentivize them. Um, well, one thing I did once that worked really well is offered a, a free paperback copy of one of my books um, to everybody that left a review. And I got like 17 reviews in two minutes or something. It was ridiculous. Um so, but people were, I, I think they respond really well to that, but then it, you know, it can kind of turn out to be pretty expensive, um, depending on what you offer. If you don't offer enough, then, you, you know, it won't really make much of a difference. But if you do offer enough, it can wind up being either time consuming or expensive on, on your end. So, so you, you kind of have to have to weigh that. Um, and I think that, um, or especially on Amazon, um, quality over quantity as far as reviews go, you, you, you know, because there are always, there's always going to be someone that has more reviews than you. you. You know, if you look at the, um, traditionally published books, some of them have thousands of reviews. So don't worry about trying to get as many reviews as you can. Try to focus on getting good quality reviews because if, if somebody takes the time to, to read a really good quality review, It'll do way more for them in, in convincing them to buy your book than 30 just, you know, one-sentence reviews. So okay. that, that's really do important. That, um, do you find that more reviews um, influence your uh, rankings and the amount of traffic that you get to the book? Or if you have, like, say, 10 really good reviews versus 100 uh, reviews? So Is there I, any difference between them? Yes, the, that that definitely can make a difference. But at the same time, okay. Amazon does factor in the the quality of the reviews and um, the length, and also the the I guess the standing that each reviewer has with Amazon. You know, their Amazon reviewer rank, things like that, make a big difference. If you get a bunch of re, if you get say ten reviews and all of them are from top 10 Amazon reviewers, you know, so these are, these are the very most popular reviewers on Amazon, then Amazon will um, give that more weight than 100 reviews from people that just, you know, leave a one-sentence review, if that makes sense. Okay, and do you get uh, these top reviewers to write uh, reviews for your books, and how do you do that? You know, I, I used to. I used to go out and contact them individually. But I, I don't do that anymore just because I have uh, enough of a following that I don't really need to do that. I can just email my list and get a bunch of reviews. Um, but if you're first starting out, like I said, it is a little bit harder. So that might be something you, you could consider is going out and contacting these top Amazon reviewers. 
Okay. And would you say that um, in terms of the book description versus reviews, uh, which does a person look at first when they arrive at a book? Do they read the description first, or would they, do they go down and read the reviews first? I'm really curious to know. You, you know, I, I think everybody is different. What I personally do, um, okay. I, I, for my own, I guess, purchase habits, because I buy a lot of books on Amazon, what I do is I'll read the first sentence or the, the headline uh, of the description just to, to make sure that this is a book that has a subject matter I'm interested in, and then I'll go down and read the reviews. I rarely spend the time to read the entire description unless it's like a really expensive book. You know, if it's more more than like 12 bucks or something, which is expensive for an ebook, you know, I'll take the time to read the entire description and make sure that it's something that that I actually want to buy. But if it's just a 2.99 ebook, I'll I'll read the you know the the heading and then just go down if it has a couple of good reviews and it looks like something I'm interested in, then I, then I'll just buy it. So I, I don't know if that's kind of the standard for, for a lot of people, but um, that, that would be fascinating. interesting to see. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I know that when, when I um, check something out, like uh, my own habit, I'll go and I'll read the one-star reviews if it has that um, to see you know what, what people are saying that's bad about the book. And I don't know why. Maybe I'm neurotic like this, but um, I think I'm also a little bit skeptical whenever I see a book like on Amazon because I know that the review system can be gamed so much, you know, and it's, it's yeah. Like, it seems like there's less credibility in the five star reviews because you know they can be bribed or someone can write them, you know, like a fake review. Uh, and I wonder if, if if I'm the only one or if, if other people are the skeptical as well. You know, I, I'm not um, inherently skeptical just because, in my opinion, it's pretty easy to spot when a review is fake. Um, yeah, usually the, uh, the top reviews, the, the ones that you see first that are voted up are the ones that, um, people, that people appreciated. And those are the reviews that either convince them to buy the book or convince them not to buy the book. And, um, so, so the, the top reviews I found are usually pretty reliable and, um, unless the book has like two reviews and if one of those reviews or both of them are a fake review, it's usually pretty easy to tell. Um, in my opinion, you, you just kind of put people that actually really liked the book will take the time to say what they liked about the book and be specific, not to say, Oh, this was a good book, which is what a lot of the fake reviewers do. It's just, you know, two or three sentences. Yeah, this was a good book. You should buy it. it you know, that's what the fake reviews really say. But the, the reliable reviews are the ones that people say the specifics of what they liked about the book and how it helped them. Etc. Right, so it's easy to detect when uh, what's really going on, you know, whether it's authentic or not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so now, uh, what's, now, what's the last one? Number oh, five. go ahead. Okay, so this is um, this is the biggest one, and this is the one that a lot of people don't understand. And um, yeah, I actually really haven't seen many people talking about it in, in you know Kindle marketing books or anything like that. So th- th- this is really big, though. This is what once I realized it, it um, it really helped me to to get up to you know four thousand dollars a month. And th- this the the point is that Amazon wants to make money, and as an author, you, you know you can make the money. So they want your book to sell. Th- that's important to realize is Amazon wants your book to sell so that they can make money, and they will help promote your book to make them money. 
But the, the thing is, they've also got 3 million other books. And so they only want the best books to sell. You know, that helps their reputation. So they have kind of a process to determine what are the better books. And, um, and those are the books that they promote. And if you can get on Amazon's promotion list, then that's awesome. That, that can help you sell, you know, hundreds of copies easily. So, um, and they, they've got a process that, that they look at it. They obviously, they look at the reviews and things like that. But the biggest thing that they look at is, um, how many copies your book sells when it's first released. And what I mean by that is like how many copies it sells in a 24 hour period, um, within the first week. So like in the first seven days, so say on, on the first two days of your book launch, you try to get reviews. And then on the third day you officially launch it and email your list and contact your, all your social media friends and things like that. If you can get a decent number of sales in a 24 hour period, um, that, then that's what Amazon really looks at. They look at the volume of sales you get, that you know how fast they come in and how how many. And they've got a whole algorithm that that ranks all of these things. But the most important thing is just to to kind of um, arrange your launch around that and see how many sales you can get in a 24 hour period because that's going to be the biggest thing. And I've found that if you can get around 150 downloads in in a 24 hour period. Um, that, that's what kind of gets you on Amazon's promotion list and, and they've got different levels on, on their list. You, you know, like a 150 downloads will get you to, to the very lowest level. If you get, you know, twice that 300 downloads, you, you'll get up to the next level. And, and so you can actually almost pretty reliably predict how much money you'll make based on how many downloads you get in a 24 hour period. So, like, I, I've noticed that if I get 150 downloads, I'll usually make $1,500 with that book. If I get 300 downloads, that book will go on to make $3,000. And it's really reliable like this. And then if you can get, you know, a lot of downloads, like over 500, 600, 700, somewhere in there, that, then that's really awesome. I've actually never had a launch that good, but if you can um, get a get a launch like that, then that, that gets you to the highest level of Amazon's promotion um, list. And then they'll continue to promote your book for, for an extended period of time. For the lower levels of, of their promotion list, they only promote it for like the first 30 days of, of publication. Um, and, and, you know, it's still awesome to get on, on their promotion list and have Amazon promoting your book for you because you can get a lot of sales and make a lot of money that way. But the biggest... Um, you know, your ultimate goal should be to get over 500 downloads because then they'll continue to promote your book. And that's where the real passive income comes in. You know, I remember when your book, um, the buy your own Island one came out, it got a, it got a lot of downloads when it was first launched, but now it's really, um, that faded away. But based on your sales rank, you're probably selling like, you know, maybe a copy a day, maybe a copy every other day, just probably because you didn't get that huge launch that, that, um, uh, on Amazon's highest pr- promotion level, if that makes sense. Okay, I see. So there's a distinction between uh, downloads and uh, actual sales. So you're saying um, not to do the, the Kindle Select promo where you basically give it away for free, right? Yes, I, that, you know, that, that can work if you're just starting out and you don't have a platform to launch to or anything like that. 
Um, but but the the ratio kind of is 100 free downloads is equal to one paid sale. So it can still work if you get a really huge free promotion. Um, but you you know to get 150 downloads worth of paid sales and free sales, it, you just have to get a ridiculous number of free downloads. So it, it's not it's not really worth it in my opinion. Unless you're first starting out and there's absolutely no other way that you could get get a, a paid launch with a 99 cent book. But I, I think you know if you're smart about it, even if you're just starting out, you, you can have a pretty successful 99 cent launch. You, you just have to um, put a little bit more time into launch, do a lot of guest posts and guest podcast interviews and things like that on the week of the launch. But so, so yeah, um, do, doing a 99 cent launch and getting – um, getting at least 150 downloads will get you onto Amazon's promotion list. Getting 500 or more will hopefully get you on the highest level of their list, and that, that's what you really want to get because then they're, they'll continue to promote your book, you know, for, for indefinitely. Okay, interesting. So I guess the only other question I had is um, uh, how how do you get those 300, uh, 400 downloads in one day? You mentioned. Uh, podcasts and, and guest blogging is that is that what you do when you plan a, a launch you, you know i i've got a your process um i i usually put together a couple of things I, i've got a decent sized email list now that that i've got um the you know I've, I've published nine books and every book um you, you know consistently brings in um at least um at the very least 150 subscribers um d- during the launch and so, so I, I've got a decent sized email list, so, so that really helps. And, and I've got a lot of, I, I've got a pretty big network of people that I've reached out to, and, and that are are willing to help me out. Um, in the past, I've been able to just reach out to, to some of the people that I know, um, and they'll go and email their list or whatever. And, and, and so that, that's a, that's a huge thing. It's just networking and getting to know people and doing favors for people. And then sometime down the road, when you publish your book, just asking for a quick favor. And more often than not, people will be willing to help you out. And then also, if you can get on like a, a book promotion service like Buck Books or BookBub, that's that's really huge. But it's really hard to get on, on onto those sites. So yeah, I've done a couple of uh, book Buck Books promotions, and it worked pretty well. Um, when when you do your own ninety nine cent sell though, is is that called the uh, the Kindle Countdown deal? Because I actually have actually haven't done that myself yet. So the the way the Kindle Countdown deal works is um, okay. It, it's through KDP Select, and they they'll lower your your book to ninety nine cents, but still give you seventy percent royalties, and and they put a little countdown timer on, on your page, and you can do all sorts of things like it'll go up to. Rather than going from ninety nine cents back to the normal price at the end of the promotion, it'll go from like ninety nine cents to one ninety nine to two ninety nine to three ninety nine, and work its way back up. And you can do all sorts of of little, you know, things like that. But um, the the problem with the Kindle Countdown deal is that you can only um, use it if your book has been published for for ninety days. So it, it really doesn't apply to launching a book just because it. You can't use it until until the book has been out for ninety days, and so so Kindle countdown deals are really more of a way to to revive book sales on a on a book that's fading away, rather than than use it for a launch, just because Amazon won't let you. 
I see. So that that's actually quite useful to have because um, I've noticed that uh, since I've launched the book, you know, the sales are kind of been slowing, as you said. Uh, so after that three month period, you can just kind of run a new promotion and then kind of get it back up there again. You know that you can do that, and I know some people that that have done that with uh, pr- pretty great success. But the the problem is that after a book has been out for more than thirty days, even if you get a huge um, a huge rush of downloads, either from BookBub or from a Kindle Countdown deal or something like that, Amazon it, it's really hard to get back onto Amazon's promotion list. So you probably won't be able to do that again. It, it's kind of like. If you miss it in the first 30 days, you, you don't get on it. But um, having, having a Kindle countdown daily, you know, once every 30 or uh, three months or something like that can help with, with book sales. Um, but it probably won't revive them for, for long term. Um, but, but it can help get, get a bunch of book sales all at once and maybe help build your email list or things like that, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay, so I have one more uh, question related to uh, Kindle publishing, and then I want to uh, switch topics. Um, what are you doing to promote and market your books outside of Amazon uh, besides your mailing list? You mentioned um, getting on other lists, uh, podcasts, uh, guest blogging. Anything else that you'd re- like to recommend? Um, yeah, you know, not really. Just the biggest thing outside of Amazon is just networking and getting to know people. Because then later down the road, you can either get them to help you promote your book or maybe get a guest post or guest podcast with them. So, so just networking. To try to reach out to like one person a day. Um, even if you're just barely starting to write your book, start now to get to know people in your niche. And just really networking is absolutely huge. So, so you don't do any blogging or anything like that? Um, personal blogging or guest blogging. I mean, you don't have a, a blog yourself where you um, you drive traffic from your blog to your books, per se. You know, I used to try that, but it's just, uh, again, it's return on investment. It would take a lot of time to build up something like that, and it, it just wasn't worth my time, in my opinion. My time would be better used writing more books rather than writing, you know, blog posts. Um, guest posting can be really helpful if you're doing a launch or something like that. I, I don't guest post on on a regular basis. I usually only do it when I'm trying to launch a product or something like that. Um, and I, I don't really have a personal blog. So you're very selective uh, about your time. Yes, yeah, for, for sure. Well, this transitions perfectly to what I wanted to ask you about next. Um, you're really big on productivity, obviously. Um, I noticed that not too long ago you held this event where uh, you invited people to watch you, I guess, write a book in one day. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I I don't know why. I, I guess I'm just naturally kind of pretty productive. And um, especially with writing, I, I've developed uh, lots of different, um, I, I guess, writing hacks and techniques to help me write faster. And it got to the point where I can um, – I, I've slowed down a little bit on writing. Um, I, I'm working on, on some other projects now, so I haven't been writing on a regular basis for the last couple of months. Um, so so it might, I might be slower now, but I got to the point where I could write 2,500 words in an hour um, just because I, I was using all sorts of different techniques and put, putting all of them together allowed me to write you know, an insane amount of words. And so, yeah, I, I put together an event 
where people could watch me. Um, I, I basically, what I did is, is I woke up in the morning without even I, an idea of what I wanted to write about and went to bed that night with a published book on Amazon. So, so I did the entire brainstorming and outlining and writing and editing and revising and getting a, a cover and all of those things in, in 24 hours. Can you tell me some of the uh, techniques, some of your secrets here that make a big difference? Um, the, so for, for, for the biggest techniques, what, what I'd actually recommend, uh, hopefully this isn't too self-promotional, but I, I actually put together an email autoresponder sequence um, j- just uh, last week um, that ha- have my three biggest techniques and, and kind of the theory behind productivity. Um, so, so if you want to go check those out at ninjaproductivity.com. Um, th- th- those are, are kind of the, the biggest things that, that have are the most fundamental that have really helped me increase my productivity. And, and they're, they, it would take too long to explain them here. So I'll just kind of redirect you to, to that. Hopefully that's not too self-promotional. Well, well can, um, can you give us just one uh, just to give us an idea and then um, – Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some of people the like, – to, to, to go check out more? Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you some of the the specific writing techniques, but for the for the fundamentals, um, they go check out the the autoresponder. So, but but for some of the specific things that I do, okay. um, one thing that that I've done for, for um, about two years now that's really helped me, um, and this can be used for for writing, but it can also be used for um, for, for pretty much anything if you're trying to force yourself to be productive. Is to set up a reward and punishment system for yourself. So set set up kind of um, mini goals, so short goals, and whenever you hit that goal, um, get, give yourself a reward. If you miss that goal, then then you have to punish yourself. So so one thing that I did, um, you know, I, I write fairly short books. It got to the point where I was writing about a book a week, and so what I would say is if I finished. You know, whatever my book was for the week, I would um, allow myself to, to go out to eat at, at any restaurant that I wanted in town. And you know, our family doesn't really go out to eat very often, so, so that that's kind of you, you know, I felt like it was a, a decent reward. You know, going out to eat at any restaurant I wanted. Um, if I wrote that book um, in a week, if I missed my goal and didn't write a book that week, I'd have to go and give away a hundred dollars. Um, and, and that was enough motivation for me to, to force myself to, to kind of write. I'm like, and, and I would have an accountability partner. So, so he, you know, they would keep me accountable if I didn't write my book, but they would make me, you know, give away a hundred dollars. And, and that was really effective. It's kind of, um, I, I guess a little bit of a, of a harsh technique, <laughs> but it, it was extremely effective in helping me just write on a regular basis. Um, so, so yeah. Who was your accountability partner? Was that like uh, your brother or one of your friends or something? Um, you, you know, it, it would switch depending on on, on what goal um, I, I was working on. You know, because I found that over time, um, a specific reward or punishment can get kind of kind of old and it won't have the same effect anymore. So, so I'd switch it up and switch up accountability partners. So, so I, I went through maybe, I don't know, five, five to ten accountability partners. And, and, and yeah, like you said, they were like siblings or parents or friends. <laughs> That's so funny. And I've heard that the, 
the, the motivation to avoid failure is, is twice as powerful as um, being a reward or succeeding, I think. You know, like we, we don't want to, to lose what we have, but we, it's, it's more motivational than to, to gain something as well. So yeah, like, no, uh, I, I definitely I, I would sometimes, agree with that. Yeah, move, move away from what we don't want versus going towards what we do want. So I like that idea of, of just giving away $100. I, I, I used to do that myself when I was a bit younger. Uh, I would just tell myself, uh, if I don't do this, I'm going to flush this $100 on the toilet. Well, awesome. Well, you've shared so much, Mark. Uh, there's so many takeaways, and I've taken a ton of notes uh, as a result of this interview and uh, realized some mistakes that I've made in my own self-publishing efforts. Um, but I'm, if I'm looking at commonalities throughout this interview and, and what has made you successful in this game versus other writers who have struggled to make money. Um, you really, you really invested a lot of time in learning how the game works, learning how the Amazon publishing field works, um, learning how to market your books, and also focusing on productivity. And I feel like a lot of writers really don't, they kind of push off all that stuff. They don't want to focus on marketing. They don't want to focus on productivity. You know, um, they struggle just like to perfect the writing, and that's probably why they're not making very much money. But is that would you would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Um. Well, one of my favorite quotes is uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember the exact wording. Um, entrepreneurs are willing to do what most people won't, so that they can live their life in a way that most people can't. And I, I think that's really important to realize. You know, nobody said that being an entrepreneur or being an author would be easy, and it, it's really not. Um, you, you have to you have to put the work into it. Um, you, you, you know, another quote is: um, "Success isn't something that you achieve; it's something that you do." You, you know, you, you have to be active. You have to be working towards towards being successful, and you, you have to put in the work at first. And you know, maybe somewhere down the road, you you'll be able to to, um, you know, just kind of sit back and watch the passive income come in. But when you're first starting out, you really have to put in the work. You have to hustle. And if you don't do that, then, then you know, you won't be successful. And it seems like you also have to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. If, if I can just, just pick it apart, I think it's really the passion that kind of pushes you through that, uh, really loving what you're doing and and also kind of just seeing some results, you know, getting that, that paycheck of uh, $200, that first one that comes in, and just how good it feels to get that. I think that, that motivates you to just kind of keep pushing forward. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, do, do you have any other piece of advice that you'd like to leave uh, to anyone else who would aspire to, uh, I guess, Mark Messick Jr., who, who uh, starts writing at 13 years old? You know, um, a book that I actually just finished reading last night um, that, that I think everybody that's trying to be an entrepreneur or an author or anything like that should go and read um, is it's called Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if you've read that book, but it, it is absolutely amazing. Um, it, it's really it's a short book, like you can read it in half an hour. And it's just really blunt and to the point. Like he doesn't waste any time with fancy words or anything. He just lays it out like it is. And it's an amazing book about um, willpower and and the resistance of the universe and and all sorts of of things that that I found immensely help, helpful. And I think you know if you're um, an aspiring author or an uh, an aspiring entrepreneur, 
definitely go and read that book, Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. And if you apply what he teaches in that book, um, you know, it, it, you will be successful for sure. Fantastic. I haven't actually read that book, but I'm, I'm familiar with some of the concepts. And I think um, for me personally, what really helps is uh, if I have an idea, if I get an idea, I just implement, just do it immediately. Don't even think about it too much because the longer that it sits on your to-do list, the harder it is going to actually be getting around to doing it. And, I, you know, that's just something that I've noticed that's, that's helped me a lot. Like, just, just listening to this interview, like, I, I want to go back and redesign some of my book covers based on what you just told me. <laughs> so I think that's what I'm going to do after, I, uh, after this interview, like, immediately. Um, yeah, no, they, he actually talks about that a lot in the book. Is um, yeah. One of his key points that he says is to, to be stupid. He, he <laughs> says it's really important that you're stupid. And he, his point behind that is that you don't want to try to be smart about something. You, you don't want to think it out um, through to, too long. You, you just need to you need to go and do it. Don't be a perfectionist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. I, I really enjoyed this call, Mark. And uh, we're running a little bit long. Um, why don't you just uh, tell me what you're up to? And uh, if someone wants to sign up for that autoresponder that you mentioned, where should they go? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing I'm working on right now is, um, I, I guess, kind of helping people learn how to be more productive. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you can go and check that out at ninjaproductivity.com. So I, if you want to learn more about me or my stuff, that, that's definitely the place to, to go, ninjaproductivity.com. Is that the same as uh, epicproductivity.com? Are they one and the same? Um, no, uh, Epic Productivity is, is a little bit different, but it's not ready right now. Um, I, I mentioned it a, a little while ago on another podcast, and then the podcast went live before I thought it would, and I got a ton of traffic to an unfinished site. So oh. for, for now, go to ninjaproductivity.com, and, and that's where you can find me. And uh, Epic Productivity is a different project, um, and, and it's not ready as of right now. Well, that's that's an example of the just be stupid uh, concept that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Even if you're not completely ready. Uh, well, well, congratulations on all your success, Mark, and um, I look forward to seeing what the future has in store for you. I think there's uh, many good things ahead for you, so congratulations and uh, best of luck. Well, thank you. Yeah, this has been really fun.